Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. And today we welcome in Oregon State uh, insider Angie Machado, publisher of Beaver Blitz. Uh, Angie, thanks for coming on the show. First time in a long time that this game has major ramifications for, for both teams. Championship is on the line for both teams. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, it's it, this game is so much better when I think yeah. there's there's something on the line. So um, it's been a, a fun season for Oregon State fans, and um, it, it's fun to see that the both teams in the state of Oregon are relevant. And yep. uh, it it has this this week again has some meaning. Oregon State, let's talk about their year. Um, I think Eric and I have been very bullish on them all year, and that that's maybe bit us in our picks a little bit. Um, we picked them to win a couple games that they hadn't. Me too. Um, Me too. But, but <laughs> this was a, this feels like a year where they've figured out how to win and they've figured out how to take that next step um, as a program because they're now bowl eligible for the first time in, what, eight years? And they're now in a position where they can still get to the conference championship game. Just the growth of this program – this season, how would you describe this year for Oregon State? Yeah, and I, I think I expected a bowl game for the Beavs. I, I mean, that was the the goal, obviously. Um, I, I thought it was a bowl game. It had to be made, even if it was, you know, just at the six-win mark for Coach Smith and, and to take that next step that he wanted to take. Um, I, I know you and I, you guys have, and I have talked a little bit about where this team was when Gary Anderson left them, yeah. you know, four years ago. This I have covered college football for 15 years. And I've never seen a team that down. I mean, there were players that just didn't even like football anymore. And they questioned whether they were even going to play. So what Coach Smith walked into from a culture standpoint, um, and I told Coach Smith this, I remember talking to him kind of just off the record one day when he was brand new, just where this program, where I saw it, because I, I spoke to players and, co- and, and parents. Um, he had his work cut out for him. And so to see that turnaround, I think, is almost more important than what we've seen in the wins and loss column. But um, yeah, and this team though, still, I, I, we, we can talk about where they're at, but this team was on the cusp of a really, really special season. Yeah. If you look at um, like Washington State, I, I don't know what the decision was to stop running the football. The Cougars hadn't stopped Oregon State's running game all day. And then that last drive, they went away and went three straight passes. Um, I think the defense really hamstrung this team in a couple games. I mean, Cal was just a, a good old fashioned butt kicking Cal kicked the Beavers, butt. Um, Colorado was an interesting one. I mean, you let um, a, a really bad Colorado offense rack up, you know, more yards, but um, I, I was, I did not expect coach Smith to release Tim Tibisar when he did. Um, I thought it probably should have happened a lot earlier, but it was not going to happen with the COVID year last year. Um, but then to see, this team kind of re, rejuvenate itself under Trent Bray has been has been something to, to look at. And that's what you're kind of right at where I was going to start, which is the resolve they showed after the Cal and Colorado loss. It kind of felt at that point like, uh oh, is this going to be a season where I mean, they were one went away from bowl eligibility, and it was kind of like, is this are they going to get there? And yeah. to see what they've done the last two weeks, not just winning, but winning in really impressive fashion. You mentioned the culture that Smith kind of had to create and and, and you know build there. Is, is that is it simple as to point to that and, and just that they have built something, I think, from a chemistry perspective, maybe that's special, and that's what took place there. You mentioned, obviously, the coaching changes. I don't know. We can talk about that more 
in a moment if you want about maybe if there've been philosophical or schematic changes, but it seems like these last two weeks have been really important for this program and kind of getting things, you know, set up because now everything's on the table for them if they're able to take care of business this weekend. Yeah. And it's been such a, a strange year for like Oregon State. I mean, you, you look at, like you said, picking, you pick the beefs to win certain games that they've lost. Um, I don't know if they kind of started to believe their own press after they, you know, really dominated Utah at home. Um, what, four weeks ago, yeah. that was a statement when they put 42 points up on Utah um, and dominated from the, from the onset. And then they went on the road and, and, lost to, to Cal and Colorado. And I don't know if they start to kind of think, oh, this is a done deal. We're, we're bowl, we'll be bowl eligible, you know, this week and then this week and now this week. But um, they, they've really kind of regrouped. And I do think the chemistry has a big part of that. Um, we've seen that the past couple of years, you know, Oregon State was taking some strides um, and they, we kept saying, yeah, like you said earlier about learning to win. And that's something um, we haven't seen from Oregon State the past, gosh, 10, 10 years or better. So um, to actually see them be able to regroup too, when they do get in a deficit, right. um, that's another, a big part of this. And I think it, it starts with coach Smith. He has these guys believing in what coach Smith is seriously the most even keel guy I've ever been around in my life. I seriously, I mean, you can see it on the sideline, but he is never too up and he is never, and, and to the, to it almost like, aren't you excited? I mean, <laughs> like you just beat USC on the road for the first time since 1962. Are you not excited? Um, he's very just even keel. And so even when, you know, the beefs go down 14, zero to start a game, I, I think the players respond to that and they see that their coach isn't too high, too low. Um, he's not a, a yeller or a screamer like we see on some sidelines. Um, and they've really bought in. And I, I look at him and he's competitive like maybe a coach Erickson or a coach Riley, but he's not a hip hip hooray guy like coach Riley was. Um, I, I think what he's sold in Corvallis that he's been there, he's done it and he knows what it takes is, is really resonated with these guys. Sticking with Smith. Um, I think he's tremendous. Like you said, as a football coach, um, he's not I, my favorite to deal with as a media member. Oh. He's very, he's very skittish around the media. But um, other than that, yeah, I think from a coaching standpoint, what he said is good. I think, I think his offensive scheme, he gets a, a lot out of um, his team when maybe some would think there isn't much there um, to get what they get. I, I think he's one of the better offensive minds in the, in the, in the conference. I understand that he is a Beaver alum and Oregon state and Corvallis is special to him, but I've always thought, like, USC, why would they not call him? Washington now that's open, why would they not call him? What What do you feel like is his, his viewpoint of Oregon State? Is this like a career job for him? Or do you think there's any chance that – he can say like, "Hey, like let's let's be honest. Like it's easier to it's easier to win at, at those two schools than it is at Oregon State." Mm -hmm. Is he emotionally connected to Oregon State because he's an alum there and this is his his and his you know, last job, or do you think there's ever a chance that Oregon State's going to have to get into a bidding war? Like he deserves a contract extension. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it, I would expect to give him one, but are they gonna are they gonna make it so hard financially for him to leave, or is that door open at all? You think? Yeah, I don't think so. And that, that was part of the, when when the interview process, when Scott Barnes was on the road, I think that was one of the things that really stood out to him is that this is like a, a dream job. And and 
it's such a hard profession, right? Because yeah. th this week you're the greatest guy ever and you deserve $10 million. And then next year you lose two and you're like, why did we, why did we give him an extension kind of thing? Um, head coaches need to strike while the iron's hot because just as soon as that iron's hot, it could be cold as ice and yeah. um, no jobs in the pipeline. So they really need to be thoughtful of that. Um, but when Scott Barnes went through the interview process, he could have gone a couple ways. You know, there were, there were some guys on the table that, Maybe we're looking to rehab a, a reputation or, or some, you know, maybe proven winners. And you had Coach Smith, who basically sat down, and, and Scott Barnes says, it was my, from my first interview with him, I knew this was the guy because he said, this is where I want to be. He has young family, young kids. Um, I think his oldest is my youngest's age. So, what, like eighth grade, entrenched in sports. Um, he likes the small town. I don't see Jonathan Smith being a USC type guy. Um, from a media perspective, from an, a yeah. fan expectation perspective, um, just you, you can't live even near the stadium. You're, you're commuting every day, you know, an hour into the stadium if, or, you know, I guess you could live in like Redondo or, but um, that's not his MO. I mean, that's his coaches like being able to go home for lunch or have their wives and kids show up for a fall camp, um, have barbecues together. Washington's interesting. Again, though, this is the same Tyee group that wanted him out basically yeah. as a coordinator. So expectations sometimes I think can be so unreasonable at some of these places. Um, I guess you can never say never, but I, I think what Scott Barnes needs to do is a give him an extension and a raise, but he's publicly said that, you know, he's making a couple million of dollars a year. He's totally fine. Yes. You'd like to, like I said, you need to strike when the iron's hot and, and make right. build that nest egg. But he really wants the tools to pay his assistance and keep that continuity. And that's, I think the biggest thing in building this program. And that was one of the things he said was that he needed continuity. He couldn't be having staff turnover every year or two. Um, I know when blue Adams came on board um, when they offered him that job, it was, if you take this job, I need you to commit to three years at least um, to, to do this because we can't be having turnover every couple of years. So um, while I think it's always good for the ego too, to be wanted, I don't, I, I would be really surprised to see him leave because I do think he has a tie to Oregon state um, and he knows that they can win at a high level and win often um, and not just be a, you know, a one-year team. So, um, and you got to think Oregon state's a program that you make it to a, a, a high level bowl every, you know, 10 years and you make it to a bowl every year and throw in an Alamo and a, a rose every now and then you're going to have a silver statue. Ah, absolutely. You know, so um, you know, Coach Riley, I think, saw that Coach Erickson, you know, two coaches he's been very close with. You know, Erickson has said publicly the worst mistake he ever made was leaving Oregon State to go back to the NFL. Um, your ego sometimes gets the best of you. Coach Coach Riley did the same thing. He was lucky enough to come back. But um, there's something to be said for kind of that college town lifestyle, the um, where your kids grow up. And it's, it's low key. Like, you guys, even Oregon, I mean, media – you yeah. didn't even believe. I mean, he, he has like five or six people at his Monday press conference. Yep. That's it. Yep. Um, any of these other high pressure jobs. And like I said, he doesn't like dealing with the media. So, um, and dude, I think I'm the toughest. I, I ask the toughest questions of anybody. Even the Oregonian writer lobs softballs at him. So um, I, I think he has to appreciate that to some degree. Before we start getting into the individual matchups in this game and sort of the focal point, I wanted to just talk about the framing around this because probably eight, nine days ago, this game was looked at a little differently in terms of not everything was on the line for Oregon State. 
Um, you know, if had Oregon beaten Utah, there wouldn't be the division up for grabs on Saturday. Um, how does that change, more specifically from a fan perspective and, and just maybe those externally around the program, sort of the way this game is looked at? And then just the matchup individually with Utah, the fact that Oregon plays its worst game against the Utes, loses 38-7, to and Oregon State has played its best game of the season against Utah. And so you can kind of point to that common opponent who right now feels like the class of the conference. And if you just look at it, I know, and I know we don't look at it in a vacuum yeah. that way, but I mean, if you were to look at it that way, you'd say, well, look, I mean, Oregon state handled that team, beat that team by a score. And it was maybe a little more lopsided than that at times. And, and Oregon boy, they didn't even show up. So just how is that game and kind of the last, I guess, week sort of changed the way everybody's talking about this matchup. You know, Oregon state fans from a fan perspective have been really just excited. And I don't even know if it's really truly set in that they could potentially, I mean, it has that they could be in the Pac-12 championship, but there's a lot of things that have to happen. And, you know, it starts Friday night with the Washington right. State game. Um, the fans are more talking about how did they let that Washington State game slip away? Because if that hadn't happened, then Oregon State would really be in the driver's right. seat right now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, fans, I think, are kind of one thing at a time. But right now they're just, I think, happy at what the season, what has happened with the season, you know, sitting there where they are. Um, and I, the talking about Utah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily seeing like how Oregon state played Utah and how Oregon played Utah. I, what fans are talking about is I think they're excited about the prospect of playing the ducks now because Utah and Oregon state are so similar in a lot right. of ways. I mean, so you, you look at that and, um, you know, Oregon state runs a lot of double, double tight end sets. They like to run the ball. Um, yeah. And so seeing, I mean, I think Utah is more physical up front than Oregon State is, but um, you look at some of the similarities between Oregon State and Utah and you're like, okay, there's a chance, you know, or, you know, stop cave on and, and you got yourself a chance here. Oregon, Oregon's pretty beat up. I think people are interested to see how Oregon's mindset's going to be on this yeah. um, being that they were playing for um, like the biggest of the big, and now that's off the table. So where, where is Oregon's mind coming into this game? So a lot of interesting storylines and yeah, you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds and right. it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. But I think right now, Oregon state players are at this mindset of why not us, you know, kind of like the basketball mantra of why not, you know, we, we've got nothing to lose. We're bull bound and yeah. let's go do this thing. Offensively. I, I, I think it's very impressive. The, the run of running backs that Oregon state is, produced the last four or five years um bj baylor is is the latest one at running back and he's a redshirt junior 1200 yards rushing i think you could make a case that he's probably a first team all, all conference running back um it's going to be a very tough decision to keep him off if he if he isn't um but then the offensive line feels like they have they are vastly improved if, if you do, if you look at 2020 and you look at 2021, those two years, and then you go back two more years, just they're night and day. It feels like, um, is this kind of like, uh, a, a good, perfect storm where you get a really good running back and up front you've developed an offensive line. That's a lot better than what you have seen previously from this team. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, well, I knew BJ was a, a good back. He's been in the background behind, you know, Artavis Pierce or Jamar Jefferson. But I honestly, 
thought that the strength of this offense this year was going to be the passing attack. That I mean, Oregon State has so many weapons at wide receiver. I thought, okay, um, especially if they started getting the fly sweep involved and, and getting some of that. Um, so because I have so many smaller, fast guys, yeah. I really thought in fall camp that the passing game would open up the running game, and it's been totally opposite. I will say, I, in my opinion, of the teams I've seen, Oregon State's offensive line is the best offensive line in the conference, hands down. Um, they manhandle USC up front, and you can say all you want about USC, um, they still have gobs of talent. Um, so to watch what they did there and to watch what they did with Utah, frankly. Um, I, I kept saying that this this unit's going to be good if they can stay healthy. They've stayed pretty healthy. The, they've had one loss, Jake Levengood, and I think he's probably doubtful for Saturday. But, um, I mean, after Marco Brewer's done an okay job, I wouldn't want to see any more injuries on the line because those guys, the younger guys, are not quite up to speed. But what Jim Mahalachek has done with that group is – is incredible. Um, and it has paved the way then for BJ Baylor, Deshaun Fenwick, Trey Lowe. I, I think Trey Lowe is probably the story as well. Like I said, BJ was kind of a crowded room for a while. And, and I really thought Deshaun Fenwick we'd see more from, but um, Trey Lowe has been kind of that, the glue then to that third down back transferred in from Washington, you know, as a star at Jesuit in Portland. But um, he's that guy that kind of adds the, that second dimension. BJ's a, a straight ahead runner, um, you know, run between the tackles kind of guy. And then Trey Lowe's the guy that you flex out and you can run little screens off and, and he can get the ball in space and, and take it. So um, it's been a group effort, but I would say the offensive line, like you said, is, is the improvement there is the difference in this, this team's offense. Angie, Chance Nolan introduced himself to this rivalry last year. I think maybe some listening don't remember. He was the player that scored the touchdown. He came in and replaced the injured quarterback. Um, where if, I mean, and, and I also want to say he wasn't the number one quarterback going into the season. Like, at least he wasn't clear that he was. He was in a competition with Sam Neuer. Where does his growth come from? And I was looking at the losses and the wins this year, and his, like, touchdown to interception ratio, just his splits are, are pretty significant in terms of, when they're winning football games, he's been outstanding. Mm -hmm. And when they're losing football games, his numbers dip quite a bit. Um, where's his growth been? And and how key is just him playing at a high level to Oregon State's success? Because like I said, you look at the numbers and it seems like there's a pretty clear correlation. Yeah, it's so I will go as far as in fall camp. I actually thought Chance Nolan would transfer. That's <laughs> where, where I was. So he was like third string um, at the beginning of fall camp. Um, I really like the freshman, Ben Goldbranson and Sam, um, Sam Bidlack, a true freshman at Grants Pass, actually have the two strongest arms of the team. Sam, uh, Ben Goldbranson actually went down with a shoulder injury, injury has not been available. Tristan Jebby is still out from that hamstring injury suffered in this, in the, I almost got caught saying Civil War. We're going to say it so many times this week. And it's I know, I know. So the, yeah, the, the Oregon, the rivalry game. Um, so he hasn't been available. Um, Sam Neuer, I mean, you know what you're going to get with Sam Neuer. I will say that Chance Nolan came on strong that last week of fall camp to the point where I was kind of like, huh, I, I don't know if they'll go with, if they'll go with Neuer or Nolan. They went with Sam or with, they went with um, Neuer. Sorry. There's Sam. There's so many Sams and Sam's Nolans and Neuers. It's, it's, it's yeah. So they went with um, Sam Neuer in that first game at Purdue, but brought Nolan in. And so, Sam or Chance Nolan has a way higher ceiling, but a way lower basement than any quarterback on this roster. Um, 
what he has though is kind of that intangible swagger to him. But he did, he got off the rails there midway through the season where, um, you know, Cal, Colorado, even, I mean, we saw him happy feet dancing in the backfield. He was really, he looked he, like he'd lost some confidence. Um, and we do, you see the, you see the interceptions go up and it, it is a direct correlation when, when he's not playing his game, it's not good. Um, Oregon state needs to rely on the run with him. He also is the Beavers are really good when he decides to go ahead and run. When you, when you do a little RPO action and he can run, he can tuck it and run. Um, they are better, a better team. So his passes, when he actually can step into a throw and step into the pocket and make a throw, they're money. And then he starts dancing around and he sails them high. And, and it's something you'll see on film. When he is not setting his feet, his balls all sail about two feet over the, the receiver's head. Dangerous, dangerous combination there especially if somebody tips a ball that that's happened a couple of times too. So um, yeah, a tip ball is a bad ball and we've seen that from him, but um, I, I like his moxie. You know, he does have that kind of swagger. He has no problem commanding the huddle and, and the guys respond to him. So um, it, it's going to be fun. He he's going to have some confidence, I think coming into this game with, with Oregon. And I think the, the crowd, it, it's interesting. Oregon state had several years back under Mike Riley that they played better on the road than they did at home. Oregon State this year has been completely opposite, six and zero for the first time since two thousand at Reser, but struggled some on the road. So um, they're going to have to figure out a way to, you know, shut down the noise. He's going to have to figure out a way to not hear those footsteps, a KT, and uh, you know that that's going to be probably easier said than done. But that's something he's going to need to do. And if he doesn't, it could be disastrous for Oregon State. But if he can, um, I think he can keep the beeves in the game. Real quick to follow up on that before I go to my the defensive side of the ball. At quarterback then next year when Jebbia is back, is it an open competition or is this like, hey, Chance Nolan's the guy until he chooses to move on? No, you know, I think it's still a competition. And this is this is just me, my own um, introduction here. So I don't want to like make any announcements and I don't know any inside info. I would be really surprised to see Jebbia back. Really? I mean, playing, um, I think this, he tore, that was a complete hamstring tear that he suffered. Um, he's had surgery and it's just, he, he actually started to go in, in spring and in fall camp. Um, and then it, it just keeps aggravating him. I, I don't know if this is a, a season or a career ending injury, but I wouldn't be shocked to be honest. Um, it was that bad. It was, I mean, he had surgery a couple of days after that Oregon game last year. And, um, I mean, you guys know hamstrings. You, yeah. when guys injure hamstrings, even if it's just a, a strain, sometimes it, it can nag on them. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that we have a, a competition with him. Um, if not, I could see him being a really good kind of a grad assistant coach for Oregon state and, and helping. Cause he's always, he is the one that's always out there um, helping. Um, right. The, the two, like I said, I'm really interested in seeing are the two new guys, Sam um, Vidlack and Ben Goldbranson. I think both, both give a different um, Sam Vidlack is a, more of a gamer. Kind of, kind of has that Chance Nolan mentality from what I've seen. He wants the ball. He, he has this little. He played baseball for years too, so he has this little sidearm motion he'll do from time to time. It's been money. I mean, what we've seen from him in practice. Goldbranson's more of that typical Oregon State quarterback. He can move a little, but he's more of the pocket passer with a big arm. So um, it gives Oregon State a couple different avenues to go. Um, but I, I just feel that with this offense you're going to see some competition every, I mean, 
or, or we see what happens everywhere else. If, if you have no competition, then you have a lot of guys in the transfer portal. Sure. Defensively, um, feels like Avery Roberts is just a beast at inside linebacker and maybe the, the key guy. Like if, if, if you're going to have to focus on one guy, it, it's, it's Avery, right? Yeah. He's, um, that leads the team in tackles. He plays that middle Oregon state under Tim Tibisar ran a three, four. So two middle linebackers with Omar Spates and Avery Roberts. And, um, yeah, Avery just has a, you know, he was a four-star recruit out of Delaware signed with Nebraska, followed Trent Bray then to Oregon state. Um, he does. He's, he's that leader. He's the heart and soul of the defense. He's the, the center of the defense for all intents and purposes and calls plays. Um, super strong. We, what we've seen from him too, the past couple of weeks has been more blitzing from him. They had tried to keep him back in, in coverage under Tibisar, which that's never really a good matchup when you have uh, an inside linebacker covering a slot receiver. So Oregon state would get burned from time to time. But what we saw from him now under the Trent Bray defense is more blitzing with him and, and bringing him up and um, bringing him from different angles. So it, it is day to day, and I know we will never get an answer from Coach Smith whether he's good to go. Um, I will say after after the game, um, after ASU, we did see him ice on the ankle, but no crutches and no boot. So that's always a good sign um, that hopefully it's just a, a mild sprain with him. But um, Kyrie Fisher, he stepped up big time for Oregon State against ASU and played most of the game, three quarters of the game, and uh, did a pretty pretty outstanding job for you know, containing Jaden Daniels and, and helping secure that win. So there is a drop-off, but it's not as big as I think some people are worried about. Defensively, I, I want to just ask more about, and you, you touched on some of it in terms of it sounds like blitzing linebackers more as opposed to dropping them in coverage. Um, I assume formationally this has not shifted too much from to Bissard to Bray. Like you're not seeing it go from a different base formation, are you? And, we are. You are? We are. Yeah. I mean – it's been kind of crazy. That's what I expected. So against Stanford, I actually thought, okay, it's just, I mean, they can't make that many changes. Um, we saw, I mean, yes, they stay kind of in their base three, four, but we saw several times them in a four, three um, and bring linebackers as, as defensive ends with, you know, down linemen. We saw a couple times where they dropped five DBs, saw some nickel, quite a bit of nickel, which Tibisar would run as well. But um Tibisar was kind of getting stale in that we saw base three, four or yeah, three, four all the time. I mean, it was what we saw. I mean, they, Oregon State didn't mix it up. They didn't blitz um, or they would fake blitzes. Um, we in, in two games now under coach Bray, completely different defense, way more aggressive, um, bringing linebackers, uh, bringing safeties. We saw some safety blitzes this past couple weeks um, and just way more aggressive. We were, and I, and I don't know if it's a change in mindset. I don't know if it's just them playing harder. I don't know what it is, but this team looks a lot more like a, like Trent's dad, Craig Bray defense, which he was the defensive coordinator, at Oregon state under Erickson, a lot more swarming, a lot more um, aggression than we ever saw from, from Tibisar. Can you speak Angie just to the, I mean, it's very notable to make a coordinating change at this point in the season, was it really obvious, like, okay, if they're going to move on from Tibisar, Bray is the guy. And what 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 is your perspective? I'm not obviously asking you to break any news, but is this going to be, is he going to be the full-time DC going forward, do you think? I know it's still an interim tag right now. 
Yeah. So was I shocked that Tibisar was let go midseason? Yes. Um, did it need to happen? Yes. I mean, this was a team that third down defense was horrendous. Um, one stat that we pulled up in 31 Pac-12 games as defensive coordinator, Tim Tibisar never held a Pac-12 to under 14 points. Trent Brace in it the first two games out. Mm-hmm. Um, huge. I mean, it was, it, I mean, Beaver Bliss was probably a little more vocal than, than, you know, but point, we would just pointed to stats. I mean, 127th out of 130 teams in third down defense. And this is his fourth year. And my, and my thing is with all coaches, regardless is I get tired of hearing the players need to execute because by year four, you either need to recruit it, have recruited guys that can play your scheme or change your scheme and by year four, if they're not being able to execute, then you need to figure out a different way to teach it or change yeah. it up because it's not working, right? So I really don't have a lot of patience, I guess, by year four when it comes to a coordinator making five to $700,000. Right. You know, you got to change it up. So uh, Trent Bray, they said this is kind of his audition. Beaver fans are torn, right? I th- Trent Bray's never been a coordinator. He wants to be. I mean, that's been his his aspiration is to be a defensive coordinator. And I think Beaver fans are in this mindset of, well, let's go get an experienced DC. And, and I get that, especially being that your head coach is an offensive minded coach. You really want an experienced defensive minded coach to just handle things on that side of the ball. Um, what I've seen from Trent Bray the first two weeks has been super impressive. In fact, late in the game, Oregon state had two sacks. I mean, they, they like were bottom of the pack 12 and sacks too under Tibisar. So you have two key sacks to force punts um, in that final, that final quarter of AS, the ASU game. Um, they pinned their ears back. I mean, we saw an aggressive defense. So I like what I've seen. I, I think Beaver fans are are saying if, if they can somehow beat the Ducks, that that should be his job. But there's some interesting things going on now with Pac-12. I mean, Coach Smith, I think his I think his first pick for DC when he came on board was Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake got a big promotion to stay at Washington. So now he's available. Do you right. bring in do you bring in a Jimmy Lake who you know would do great things? but also know that he might only be there for a year or two to rehab his, his reputation. Um, if Trent Bray can, can dial up a defense that can hold the ducks, I, I, I think he has to, you know, get a super serious look more so than um, the players love him. And at, at some level, these guys have to get a shot. I mean, you look at an Alex Grinch or some of the younger minds that um, they've had to get a start somewhere. So why not be his alma mater and a place that, um, he has familiarity, especially with Coach Smith liking the continuity in coaches. Um, I I think if Trent Bray is passed over for this job, I think he looks elsewhere. Um, so potentially you lose him. It's going to be interesting. But like I said, what we've seen from two games, like I said, I, I don't think you can anoint him now. And I, I do think Coach Smith will have to go through a um, you know interview process. But what I've seen from two games has been really really impressive. I, I feel like if if Oregon State beats Oregon. Oh, it, it's, it should it's be a, his job. Yeah, and the defensively, if they do well. Yeah. Even if they lose, but it's like a 17 to 13 victory. Exactly. Oregon, like, I think you could argue, keep him. Exactly. I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I think he's a good recruiter. Um, I think that's, yeah, I, I'm right there with you, especially what we saw. Stanford's different. I, I'm just because Stanford's offense really, but Oregon State had lost to Stanford like 12 years in a row. David Shaw had never lost Oregon State. Let that one sink in. So, Unbelievable. Um, yeah, but what it, what we saw against ASU was, was big because Oregon State for so many years has really struggled 
And, and that goes through several coaching staffs to stop a mobile quarterback. And they stopped Daniels and White. So um, held them to 100 yards total in, in rushing. So we'll end it here, Angie. I'm not going to ask you to, to give a prediction of a score, but just can you speak on maybe the confidence in Oregon State internally and more so maybe externally outside of the program of this game? Because I, I, I'll be honest. Like, I, I think Oregon's fan base is is pretty down right now. It's it's probably been a really rough week for <laughs> Oregon um, in every sport. I mean, they, they got absolutely blasted by 40 in men's basketball on Tuesday. Then they go to Utah and get destroyed. Their women's team went, is all banged up and got blown out twice um, in the Bahamas. And then we just I just covered a basketball game last night where they were putrid against a St. Mary's team. So it's been – it's doom and gloom time right now <laughs> for Oregon fans. Just – what what's the perspective from Oregon State? Are they going into this thinking we're going to win, or is this hey you know they have the better player on paper? It's going to be tough. No, from internally. So it, it's interesting. So Oregon State's basketball, men's basketball, has kind of stunk lately too. Um, an elite eight team that um, now yeah. can't seem to win a game. But um, but then you know there's a lot of excitement right now. Um, men's soccer is the number one team in the nation right now, which is kind of shocking. I mean that kind of <clears throat> came out of nowhere, but. Um, Oregon State comes is is feeling they're going in to win. You know, I think they do. I think the fans feel that this is an Oregon team now that was number three in the nation and hoping to play Georgia and Alabama and and play for a, a national title. And now they're not. And now they're hoping for a Rose Bowl. I think they see that disappointment. I think that they're just jacked. I mean, Oregon State is excited to come in and they know they beat them last year at home. Yep. But um, this is a team that. I think they feel they match up well with. They feel that they can go in and win. Uh, and this is, you know, no disrespect. They know Oregon's a really good team, but um, you know, Oregon State feels that they can go in and, and win this game. Thanks for coming on the show, Andy. Really appreciate it. Um, what we will. And thank you for not asking for a score prediction because I haven't even thought that far. Neither have I. Honestly, I have to. But I've been wrong so much this year because, like, yeah, I picked wins with Colorado and Cal, and then they lost. And then last week I finally was just like, I think ASU is going to run all over them, the running quarterback. And so I picked a loss, and then they win. So I don't know. Angie, this is where I'm at. I haven't made my final decision, but I, I could see Oregon winning by 21. I could see Oregon losing by 21. Like, I, I'm right there with you. I could see the same thing. I, I, I don't know what to, to pick. Um, I, I think large part – for me is it's Oregon reasons. I, I, I don't know what offense we're going to see. Um, and I'm just flabbergasted at the defensive performance we saw against Utah. And like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, they're very similar to, to Oregon state. So like my mind tells me that if Oregon plays to its potential, this game shouldn't be close, but that's not always the case. That never happens. And I always know that Oregon State, I don't know what it is, last like three or four years that they've come to Watson, they have played Oregon incredibly hard. I, I remember, was it 19 when Herbert was a senior? Oregon was like a 28-point favorite or something. Yeah. And they, they needed to make a, a, a big play for a score in the fourth quarter to win. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think Oregon State really embraces that fact of, 
the underdog, you know, and here's Oregon with all their five-star recruits and we're going to come in with our three stars and um, they embrace that. Uh, if I'm Jonathan Smith and Trent Bray and Brian Lindgren, I am calling up Utah and Cal right now to find it, especially <laughs> defensively and kind of say, Hey, because Cal, I thought played Oregon really well defensively. Um, and, and then I think there might be in the opposite side of that, some Oregon of like, well, we're five stars. We can, we can show up and, um, and beat these guys. So you've got that scrappy, scrappy little brother or not little brother that they call him, but the scrappy, scrappy fighter who goes in with the heavyweight champ and, yeah. And Oregon State embraces that. I mean, I think back to the Sammy Strotter years and the David and Goliath versus USC, and um, they kind of thrive in that role. And uh, Jonathan Smith's done a really good job of that. We ain't done yet, you know, yeah. and and kind of building that that mantra. So um, I, I was asked, I was on with Ryan Leaf and, and Roxy Bernstein earlier in the week, and they were, well, what if Washington State wins and Oregon State has nothing to play for? I mean, that's that was where Ryan Leaf's brain was. I'm like, uh, Oregon State. Just they still want to just, they yeah, still they just want to beat the ducks. Yeah. I mean, they just want to beat the ducks and let the chips fall where they may. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it was kind of funny on that one, but, um, yeah, Ryan leaf was really concerned. Like, well, what, you know, cause, cause I don't think know, Ryan leaf understands. I don't think Ryan leaf understands that Oregon state could, could lose his first 11 games. And, and if they want to be, yeah, it's, it's like the best thing in the world. That's why I told him, I said, come on, Ryan, you know, Huskies, Huskies, yeah. Cougars and Beavers can all unite around, you know, beating the ducks and, <laughs> That's right. Well, Angie, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Are you coming to the game? Uh, I will not be there, but Carter Baines, our beat writer, will be there. And then I will be running the live thread from from the TV. So um, awesome. didn't want to fill well, up the press box and let Carter Carter handle it. Absolutely. Enjoy the game. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you later on down the road. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Have a great holiday.